0: The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. We have come with open hearts. Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you don't mind. Open with the book of 1 Corinthians. When we get there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. While you're turning there, let me tell you that I have not completely lost my mind. I know that supposedly today... We were going to be on part two of the trying of your faith from Genesis chapter 22. I haven't forgotten about that, but I have determined to kind of forego that just a moment uh, today, just in light of the current situation, if you want to call it that. You know, there are many, and it was mentioned just a moment ago before the Lord's Supper. There are many who today are celebrating a holiday that uh, society at least refers to as Easter. Easter. Um, in their minds, that simply comes down to three things, I believe, at least the leading up to it: the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And in their minds, many of them today is the day, and I emphasize the day to commemorate/slash celebrate those things. Matter of fact, I had a friend of mine not too long ago in talking about today. I guess looking toward the day anyway. He said, Jim, what do y'all plan to do at, and I'm using his, his words now, at your church on Easter? And I said, well, I'm excited. It's going to be a wonderful day. I said, more than likely, I'll get up like my family will, and we'll all get dressed up. Some of us will put on new clothes. For me, it was just a suit I finally squeezed into, but we'll put on brand new clothes, and we'll make our way to the car, and head down toward the church building, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day of worship. I went on to explain to him exactly what would go on. I said, there'll probably be a little bit bigger crowd than there normally is. There'll be a few people that are visiting, a few people that are coming in with family, or maybe just strangers that might make their way into the church, and it's going to be an opportunity because it'll be on that day when we'll do something that is so wonderful. I said we'll gather together and we'll sing praises and I know every one of them are going to be uplifting and educational and we'll take opportunity on that day and we'll be able to give back in gratitude and thankfulness for our Lord. There'll be a sermon that's preached and hopefully if it's not me it'll be really, really good and people be inspired by it and and their lives may even be changed by it. Who can tell? But I said really the main focus is going to come down to us taking of the Lord's Supper. And it's going to be a wonderful time. I said, we'll be able to remember and commemorate and even celebrate the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. And when we do that, we'll partake of two emblems that He asks us to use. One being the fruit of the vine to commemorate His blood, and yet another being the bread, or if you will, the unleavened bread to commemorate, commemorate His body that's broken there on the cross. And I said, I can tell you from past experience, there will be those there who as they partake of that, they will smile from ear to ear. They'll be so happy. They'll be so excited to even think that Jesus would make such a sacrifice as that. But I said, there'll be a few. Probably should be more. I said, there'll be some there that if you'll watch them closely, not that it's about them, but I said, you'll see them as their hand lifts that cup. It'll tremble just a bit. And I said, I've even seen folks on a day like that where tears will roll down their cheek in considering such a sacrifice as that. His reply to that conversation was, how can I get there? I want to go to your church on Easter. I said, well, you're more than welcome to. And a matter of fact, if you want to just come on tomorrow, and this was back a week or so ago, I said, you come on tomorrow, we'll do the same thing. When we come back on Easter, supposedly, we'll do the same thing. And you come back the next week, you'll see the same thing because that's exactly what we are going to do every time we gather together to worship our Lord. And then I, in turn, gave him this reference, albeit I didn't read it, but from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I hope that you were there. You're familiar with it. Oftentimes we use it as a reminder of what we do when we do gather together and take part in what we refer to as communion or the Lord's Supper, or however you might title that, beginning in verse 23, here's what was said of Paul in speaking and even quoting the Lord. He said, For I have received of the Lord that which was also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus that same night which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat. This is my body which was broken for you, This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. And after the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup of the New Testament is my blood, this do ye as as ye drink in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until I come. Now that is, if you want to consider it that way, that is the proclamation of what Jesus said. That is what Jesus commanded or instructed or gave His disciples to do. Now somebody says, now wait a minute, Jim. He did. He gave that to those apostles. They were gathered in that room The night of his betrayal, the night before what would eventually be his death on the cross. And as they were gathered, he gave that to his apostles. That's what he instructed them to do, but how about us? He gave that in that room that night to his disciples. You see, not every one of his disciples were apostles, but every one of his apostles were disciples. And you and I stand here today some 2,020 some odd years removed from that and we stand today as disciples and we continue steadfastly Acts chapter 2 in the Apostle's doctrine in fellowship and even breaking of bread. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 the Apostle Uh, Paul is recorded, Luke is the penman there, but it is recorded of him that he made a remembrance there of how it was that those disciples gathered together biblically and even historically, we learn, on the first day of the week to break that bread. And so we have for us another opportunity among many opportunities to just simply hear the proclamation of our Lord and to understand it. Now, I will tell you two things. One of them may be true, one you may disagree with. First one, I am not the son of a fool, neither am I a fool. To think, now you may doubt doubt the latter, uh, but to think the fact that we should not take an opportunity at times, not every time, but at times, to remind ourselves of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And maybe, just perhaps, there's not a better time to do that than when the rest of the world is so fixated and focused on it, if it be even for the wrong reason. Because from what I've gathered in our community back in Munford, the little town of 1800 Munford, Alabama, there are even in that small town those who are very divided. There are some on the one hand that to them, Easter is the biggest event of the entire year and of their lifetime. On the other hand, others say it's of no regard. The resurrection itself was nothing more than a lie to begin with and we ought not even bother. With such things as that how do i know that's true because i've experienced it but i also know that it was biblically true in this day so you're in first corinthians chapter 11 turn toward your right a few pages you know exactly where i'm going first corinthians chapter 15 And we're going to talk for just a few moments today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now while you're turning there, ask yourself, does Jim preach uh, about the birth of Jesus on Christmas? And does he preach about the resurrection on Easter? And does he preach about mothers on Mother's Day and fathers on Father's Day? Typically no. But because we have divine authority for celebrating slash commemorating the death of Jesus, I'll preach this any Sunday anybody walks in. So here we are at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've already noticed the proclamation of this, the commemoration of that through what we might refer to as the Lord's Supper communion. But let's notice, if you want to see this at least, the people of this. Because when you think about the resurrection of Jesus, again, there are those two camps that existed, we're about to read about, and still do exist, that are divided between either it is the most important time of our entire lives and of the entire of eternity, or... It is the most wasteful time anybody could spend. Let's read here about these people. Paul writes, this is the resurrection chapter, if you will, of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, that which ye have also received. And here's the key phrase, wherein you stand. So Paul's telling these people, I'm preaching here something you already know in which you ought to also currently stand now keep reading by which you also are saved that's a good reason for this if you keep in memory that which i preached unto you unless you have believed in vain for i delivered unto you first of all that is not first in time but in priority for i delivered unto you first of all that which you have received how that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures now There are two primary phrases in that verse, one being Christ died for our sins. That is for the reason of having, we know in context of other books, having our sins to be remitted, forgiven, washed away, taken away. But the more important phrase in that comes behind that in the explanation of such how that Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures that is we know about this because we're able to read the scriptures and if you believe or i believe or anyone should say that christ died for our sins he must believe that based upon only that one thing and that is the scriptures And if he believed that from the scriptures, then anything else those scriptures, I know I'm emphasizing that a lot, contain should be believed also. Now some don't want to accept this fact, but it is a fact. Either this book, this Bible itself, I'll hold up old and new for this, but either this book is true altogether or it is false in every part. And if someone failed to receive the word of the Lord here, that Christ died for our sins, he ought to also fail to receive any other instructions given among this book. And you turn that phrase over, I want for time, but the same applies. If he wants to believe anything, he must believe everything. All right, now keep up the reading there because we're not taking much time for this, honestly but how that he died according to the Scriptures, verse 4, and that he was buried and rose again on the third day. What's the next phrase? According to the Scriptures. So when you think about the people here, so far we haven't even got to physical people as in humans, as in mankind. We're simply talking about the Scriptures themselves that give testimony to this. And the only way these people a little bit farther down the page are going to become eyewitnesses what they are to actual situations where the Lord was seen by these people having been resurrected from the dead. And the only way they have that information is because they had followed the scriptures up into that physical point coming about. Now keep up the reading a little bit farther. He gives some evidence. He's here. Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and of the twelve. Is that enough? You know, imagine for just a moment. Let's just draw this scene out. Let's imagine for a moment that someone has been accused of a crime, whatever that crime might be. Let's say it's thievery. Someone's been accused of stealing, of thievery, breaking into a home or a business, taking something that wasn't theirs. They're brought into a courtroom and as the court begins to get settled, the judge stands up and causes for all the people to go ahead and be seated. As they're seated in that courtroom, he notices or at least takes note that among the whole courtroom there are many, many people that are seated but there are so many more people that are not. Maybe he questions someone else in the court. Maybe one of the attorneys down front, whether it be the defense or the prosecution. He says, wait a minute. Why is it that all these people here lining up this center aisle, why are they not seated? He said, well, it's obvious, Judge. We don't have the room for it. He says, okay. Well, answer me this. What are they even doing in the courtroom if we don't have the room for them to be here? And imagine the prosecution stands up, or I should say the defense stands up, and says, well, I tell you why they're here. They're all witnesses. Keep up the reading. We'll come back to that. And after that, verse 6 was seen above, what's that number? 500 brethren at once. And the greater of whom remained in the present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that was seen of James and all the apostles. And last of all was seen of me. This is Paul writing was seen of me, born in due time, for I am the least of the apostles and am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am of His grace, or uh, by grace I am what I am. And for the grace was bestowed upon me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly and yet on all, but also the grace which is within me. Now the judge in that scenario we're picturing here is already beginning to ask why are these people here. The defense has claimed that these are all the witnesses that are present. Then in turn the judge makes an observation that these witnesses do not only line the aisle of the courtroom but according to a report he just received in his ear from the bailiff they not only line the courtroom they line around the city streets. He is even told now by that defense attorney that there are above 500 witnesses I brought here today prepared to testify that my plaintiff was not even there. He could not have done what he's accused of doing because he was not even there. You say, well, that is uh, baloney, B-O-L-O-G-N-A. No judge would allow that many witnesses to come forward. No attorney would call that many witnesses to testify the fact that that person was not where they were supposed to be. But in Jesus' day, that's exactly what happened. About 500 people said, and he ain't in that grave. We've looked, we've seen, he's not there. Now, that's just a few of those people. Number next, and we'll look at this very quickly. Look also at the principles that are involved. What if Christ had not rise from the dead? Just what if? Somebody said, well, we would have Easter as a holiday. No, that's not what we'd be lacking. That's the least of what we would be lacking. Drop down the page for time. Verse 13 beginning, but if there be no resurrection, so Paul's going to use that hypothetical here to establish something. He said, but if there be no resurrection, then Christ of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Pretty good point. If it's not possible to rise, Christ couldn't have done it. Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, here's the first one I want to name out, our preaching is in vain. So just mark these out. I'm going to try to, for my memory's sake, to line these out. First principle here, preaching is profitless. If Christ is not risen from the dead, Paul says our preaching, just like today, our preaching or teaching is profitless. I don't care how many pages, and I, I'm thankful. When I was in the Memphis School of Preaching, we had a student one time, and believe me, he asked a question all of us were thinking. He asked one of the instructors there, he said, when we get out of school, where are we going to get our sermons? And he was referring to books and a library that we were all trying to build and such, and the guy there, that was uh, the, the teacher there, Brother Keith Mosier, he said, I'll tell you where you get them. You get them from right here. No other place. And the thing is, I have learned he was right. You can take this right here. And you can flip through it and you can study through it and you can examine it and you can be careful with it. And you can find sermons to preach until eternity turns. And honestly, here's a secret, it ain't that hard. But I'll tell you what. None of them. None of them are worth preaching if this one's not. If what's being said here by and recorded by the Apostle Paul is not true, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Preaching is profitless. Number next, and your faith is also in vain. What does that mean? Faith is a failure. Believing in God Believing in anything about God, believing in anything about His Son, Jesus Christ, believing in anything about His Son, Jesus Christ, whether it be His will, that is what He wanted, whether it be His Word, that is what He said, whether it be His wonders, that is what He did, believing in any of that, that faith is faithless. It's a failure. TO CONSIDER GOD'S WORD AND TO SEE THOSE THINGS WRITTEN OF GOD HIMSELF AND OF HIS SON IS AN ABSOLUTE FAILURE IF HE'S NOT RISEN. NUMBER NEXT, KEEP UP THE READING, PAUL ADDS TO THAT, VERSE 15, AND YEA, AND WE ARE FOUND OF FALSE WITNESSES OF GOD, BECAUSE WE HAVE TESTIFIED OF GOD THAT HE RAISED CHRIST OF WHOM HE RAISED UP if you be dead, if you also be dead and rise not, so what's Paul saying? He said the disciples were deceived. He said if we're telling you that Christ was risen from the dead and that is not true, we are nothing but a farce. We're deceivers. We're lying. We're making up fairy tales and stories and what we're doing is of no worth. That's the phrase that he uses right here. Really, he said we are found as, what is it? False witnesses, here's the bad part, of God. Raise your hands, help me with this. How many of you ever told a lie? You better get them up, you lying now. (laughs) Telling a lie is bad. Telling a falsehood, a story, it's how we call it, is bad. Being a false witness, false witness of God, or worse. I'm not implying that we ought to go home and, and, and lead someone in the wrong way and lie to them about anything, but I'm telling you what, if you lie to them about this thing, you must have lied to them about everything. It makes, in that case, the disciples nothing more than deceivers or, in that case, nothing more than they deceived. Next one here. We're moving quickly now. Verse number 16, For as Christ is not risen, the you are not raised. Verse 17 adds to that, And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain. Watch this. And you are dead in your sins. What does that mean? It means our sins can't be cleansed it implies in that case that sin itself remains as, here's a big biblical word, sovereign. Now the word sovereign means it rules. It stands above, it reigns. You want a reference for this, you can write in your margin, Romans chapter 6. You say, what verse? Romans chapter 6. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal bodies. He starts that chapter out, Romans chapter 6. And says, Let no man say, that's James. He ain't started out that way. how did he start out Romans chapter 6? Y'all know. Because I'm blank. Hmm? Don't y'all like this? You know what this proves? I'm not that inspired man we talked about in the last hour, never claimed to be. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For how are we that are dead to sin continue any longer there? How are we dead to sin? How is that possible? Because of the death, burial, and of course Paul is making the argument here, the resurrection of Jesus makes that possible. Number next, and moving very quickly, keep up the reading there, verse 18, for they also were fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. That is, death has dominated these people. You know, one of the beautiful things that we often gain from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, albeit it teaches of the resurrection of our Lord, is it teaches the advantage of His resurrection that made possible our resurrection. And one of the most exciting slash inspiring sections that you come to really comes down toward the latter, the end of this. If you want to notice it with me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. For I show you of a mystery how that you shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye. In the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and change For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal shall put on immortality. For the corruptible shall have the incorruption, and the mortal shall have the Im- uh, immortality, and shall be brought to pass. And for it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us... What's that next word? Victory... Through Christ Jesus and our beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why would he conclude this chapter, as we call it, this section in that way? Because that was made possible by the resurrection of our Lord. Death would have dominion if... Christ, we're not resurrection we'll look at one more and then we're done verse 19 goes on to say and if this life we have only hope in Christ for we are most men of most men most all I can't read <laughs> for if we only have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable final fact of the resurrection here and that is our futures or failures without the resurrection of Christ. If you've ever had, like I have, I know that you have, a worry, a concern, an anxiety, a pain, a doubt about our futures, those things are washed away by the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. So let me turn all of those over very carefully. In this case, what Paul argues is then preaching is profitable. Faith is feasible. He argues in this case that disciples, they are dependable. What they said was true. He argues in this case right here that sin has been subdued. He argues in this case that death has been defeated. And he argues in this case that our futures can be fabulous because of our Lord so what would I do based upon in that case the proclamation that our Lord made this do in remembrance of me I'm reminded of such witnesses like those people above 500 who all in agreement without question all establish the fact that yes we have seen that resurrected Lord it's real And then based upon these principles, I learned very soon and quickly that without this resurrection, we have nothing. But because of this resurrection, we have everything. I want you to turn to one more passage and we're closing with this. The invitation of our Lord is open to you. Look at Romans chapter 1. See how important this right here was. Romans 1 and verse 4. Paul writing this book concerning Jesus Christ according to verse number 3. Romans 1 and verse 4 says, He, that is Christ, was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, same reference as the Scriptures, by the resurrection from the dead. How important is a day like today? Today where the world celebrates a holiday called Easter. No more important than any day. We are commanded to gather together to worship, to commemorate our Lord himself for the fact that, yes, it is true, he died. It is true, he was buried. It is true, He was resurrected. But you see, it's also true that he's ascended. And he sits right now at the right hand of the throne of God with the authority to look down on us in preparation to be not only our judge, but if we're right in his sight, our friend. that is all I need. You're here this morning you're not a child of god the invitation is open to you as it would be on any day any opportunity that's available any day of breath is a day of beginnings through faith repentance confession and baptism you put on christ and begin to take advantage of the blood that was shed but not in the fact he's dead but in the fact that he lives young man was asked to write a paper about the most famous and well-known living man he wrote about Jesus. The instructor said, you failed. He's dead. He said, no, sir. He's alive. He absolutely is. If you're here this morning, you're a child of God. You're more like I am. It's just really, really easy to lose sight of the importance of all that Jesus did. And more importantly, all that he continues to do for us. Imitation songs prepared. Why together we stand and as we sing